Hello, everybody. Hi, all. Hope you all are having a good day on this kind of cold. Yeah, but it's a lot brighter today than it has been. I can tell because of what I have to set this up. And, and look at all the brightness on you there. How bright I am. Look at how bright you are. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll even give us a little more color. How's that? Okay. Yeah, sure. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> so we're pretty goofy here on this Monday. So we're glad everybody is here to resume our journey through First Thessalonians. Yes, we are. So what's up today, Patty? Not too much. Not, not too, too much, much, huh? No, no. Everything is is good. It's just a little cloudy out. I, I, I went out with a friend for lunch, and so that was nice. And had my little exercise this morning. I'm doing okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. And I just told Scott was what was for dinner tonight. It's one of those Stouffer's frozen lasagnas. <laughs> Sounds good to me. The very best lasagna we... that I make. <laughs> you and I are people who eat to live. We don't live to eat. Right? It's, That's really it true. It is 100% true what he said. We us. both love, you know, love to eat good food. But it's almost a nightly thing, like most what like whatever. Like eating? Yeah, whatever. we don't really okay. care. We'll go out for a nice meal once in a while, but yeah. generally speaking, it's not. Yep. It's not at the top of our list about what we're going to put invest lots of time in. Nope. So whatever that means, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe we're really weird. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. We but, haven't had any kids at home for such a long time. Well, that, that can and be that, part of it, but then know, again, maybe when the kids leave, you you could get. We could get a lot more creative about what we eat, but I, I'm just true. like, I don't know. Yeah. It's not, not needed Whatever. for me. Yep. Whatever. So, but today we're going to pick up First Thessalonians. We're in the second chapter. Yep. Right? Yes. And um, so, how about I open us up with a word of prayer? I think that'd be awesome. Okay. Okay. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here on this Monday afternoon, resuming our journey through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And we pray, really, as we do every time we gather, that your Spirit would fill us with energy and fill us with enthusiasm and open our eyes and open our hearts and help us to be good readers of Paul and to, and, and to, to hear him well, to, to, to hear him at a deeper level than we have before. Um, so that uh, just as Paul is instructing the Thessalonians in in ways to be better disciples of Christ. Help that, help us to hear that for ourselves. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yesterday, when yes. you filled in for Arthur and you were preaching, you actually pointed out. You had your little maps there and you talked about Thessalonica for a second. For a second. Yeah. I had lots of maps yesterday morning, yesterday. You, you, in you that had to sermon. make up. You had to make up for one. I know. I've, you know, I've, I don't know. I had four, I think, in yesterday's. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone loved them. Yeah, well, it's come to be expected, right? <laughs> yes. It's just kind of what I do. So let me fix the uh, camera a bit there. Um, put on my glasses. I was having lunch today watching the U.S. men's team in the World Cup. Sadly, they tied. They had a draw with Wales, which creates a lot of issues, I think for the U.S. men's team. So we'll see what all that leads to. But in any event, so now we're just going to plunge right into 1 Thessalonians 2. And then we're going to go back, I think, to Acts 16 for just a bit. But we're not going to do that until we get to the 
to the right place. Okay. 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 So Paul writes, he says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Okay. Paul visits these places and he hopes his visits and travels will bear fruit. That's what God has sent him out to do. That's what Jesus met him on the road to Damascus about. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. So let's just go back for a minute, or maybe more than a minute, to um, Acts chapter 16. Uh, I can tell you the verse in a, in a minute. Okay. So look at um start look at verse eleven and we'll just kind of walk through it. I'll kind of tell you some of the story and we'll read a little bit of it. So right now, Steve, we have gone from Thessalonians chapter two back to Acts sixteen because Paul is talking about what happened to him in Philippi. And it's a great story, a famous story. But if we go to Acts 16, verse 11, we see that this is about meeting a woman there named Lydia. Um, they've gone to Philippi. Look at verse 13, for example. On the Sabbath, we, this is Paul and his traveling companions, uh, Timothy and Silas, went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. This would be a Saturday. They've gone out to the river. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Well, purple is the color of royalties, so um, by knowing this, we can be sure that, that she is a dealer in very fine goods. It is unusual to meet a woman who has that kind of public life, as well as even more unusual to find a woman who has a public life and has a life selling uh, luxury goods, let's say. So she would be an interesting person to meet, I think. She was a worshiper of God. Now, that probably means that she's a, actually a, a, a Gentile, would be my guess. Not my guess, but I think most people think that, that she was a Gentile there in Philippi. The Lord warmed her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us, this would be Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to her home, saying, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. <clears throat> now, we switch to a different story, still Philippi. They go back to the river. I guess this was their practice for a while while they were in Philippi. And while they were there, they met a young woman, a female slave, who was um, possessed by a spirit. In verse 16, Paul writes, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So in the ancient world, people would see her as having been in having this spirit or this demon or this gift, whatever you call it, they gave, made her able to be a fortune teller. 
being a slave, she had an owner or owners. And they would put her to work telling fortunes to make money off her. Okay? So, guess what happens? Verse 17 of Acts 16. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who were telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit in her, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Well, for these ancient people, when the Spirit leaves her, what does that mean? It means she can't be a fortune teller yeah, anymore. She can't be a money maker anymore, right? Exactly. And what does and that means who are the owners of this slave girl gonna be angry at? Paul. Paul <laughs> and Silas. So they went to the authorities and they had him dragged into prison and worse. Um they said, look in verse 20. These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And so they whip the crowd up and the magistrates actually order Paul and Silas and presumably Timothy, well, against Paul and Silas. Timothy may not be there at that moment. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. So they are beaten, beaten in Philippi. And after they had been severely flogged, verse 23, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stock, in, in, in the stocks, which are these, you know, call them ankle irons. Okay, so they are not only in the jail, they are in the innermost cell in the jail, and their feet are like an ankle irons or things attached to the wall. So they are completely, completely helpless. But 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, why would that be? Because they're not chained anymore, right? I mean, why would he want to kill? Why would he oh, be about he... to kill himself? He must have known what kind of uh, death he would have been put through. Right, for letting all these people yes. go free. Exactly. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So the jailer called for lights. That should be like torches. And he rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now that has two meanings. For the jailer, don't you think? That's how it often is in scripture. People would come to Jesus for a physical healing and they would be healed. But when Jesus heals them, 
there's the physical healing is only one dimension. There's, there's another dimension, and maybe more than two, perhaps a third. That's the story I talked about in my Sunday class um, about 10 days ago, about the woman who, having been menstruating for 10 years, touched Jesus' garment, and, and he ends up saying to her, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. And that's a physical healing for her. It's a social healing for her because now she can live amongst her neighbors where she couldn't before because she was unclean. And of course, this whole there's this whole truth about being made right with God, about our, our relationship with God being healed. So the jailer, from the sentence, I imagine the first thing on the jailer's mind is how to survive that night. Physically, make it make it through morning, not end up finding himself in jail or worse. But there's this other layer, right? The jailer says, "What must I do to be saved?" I wouldn't race to the second layer in the story. Go through the first layer to get to the second layer, because Paul responds to the second layer. He says. They replied, this will be Paul and Silas, believe, put your faith in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And even that reply still has the two layers, the two dimensions. You see what I mean, Patty? Yes. Yes, I do. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved from your bosses, but you will also be made right with God, you and your household. Now, the, this word household, we run into the New Testament a lot and it, it means everybody in his household people of all ages it doesn't just mean adults it means the household and for that's why for most of Christian history Christians have baptized babies and children wee ones because they're part of the household and so we don't know who all the people are that are in this person's household. Um, this would be people who are free, people who are slaves, old, young, children. I, we, we don't know. It's just his household. And, and that is the way a lot of the baptism scenes happen in the Bible. It's the baptizing of the household. Which, too, certainly to my reading, would mean of the, of the children, not just, not just of the adults. Well, after they say to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to the jailer and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. That same night, it's all happening in one, one moment, you see. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to put his faith in God, to believe in God. That's that pistis word there. To faith in God, he and whom? His whole household. That's what makes this such a wonderful story that comes after Paul and Silas have been flogged, beaten, and left in prison. 
Well, pick, continue the story in verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go, go in peace. <laughs> but Paul said to the officers, listen to this, listen to this. He says, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. <gasps> That's verboten. And threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. <laughs> so Paul won't walk out of the jail. That's how I see it. Yeah. They've like, and, and, and the jailer's saying, you just go. Will you just go? Please, go, go. Well, the officers reported this to the magistrates. Those are the city officials, you know, the, the big dogs in Philippi. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Romans, they were alarmed, yes. I, I included this, I think, a moment in my sermon yesterday, that Roman citizens were a small portion of the, call it 60 million or so people that comprised the Roman Empire at this time small portion uh, most of them lived in what you and I know as Italy on what you and I know as Italy but there were others and people could get citizenship for military service and other ways that they that they serve um, the Republic or the Empire after the time of, of Augustus and it had carried certain privileges they couldn't be beaten they couldn't be crucified they had rights that regular people in the empire didn't have and so of course the magistrates are alarmed they just beat without even a trial they just beat them for the fun of it i guess paul and silas and so in verse 39 we discover well the magistrates came to appease them <laughs> I guess I would paraphrase this. The magistrates came to suck up to them <laughs> and escorted them from the prison, handing them delicious lunches and <laughs> bottles of water <laughs> and requesting ever so nicely that they leave the city. <laughs> well, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, you know where they went. They went to Lydia's house. Um, I've seen, I haven't been to Philippi, but there, I've seen pictures of a chapel in Philippi with the beautiful stained glass of Lydia. Um, we don't know, of course, what she looked like, but um, she's one of these women of faith in the New Testament who play an important part in the story of Paul's ministry. And, and in this place, Philippi, which as it turns out, Paul would be very close to the Christians who are in Philippi. Maybe because he knew what he went through there and he could imagine what they would go through in Philippi. But in any event, Paul and Silas went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters because um, remember, they've all been baptized. So by brothers and sisters, all he means is um, all the people in the household because they are his brothers and sisters. How? In Christ. 
all his fellow Christians, all his fellow believers, all his brothers and sisters. Those are all synonyms. And, 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 and Paul and Silas encouraged them. And then they left. Can I ask a Lydia question? Sure. Okay, so let's go back in Acts to um, verse 14. Okay. Whether they introduce us to Lydia, the dealer okay. in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and yes. God is with a capital G. Yes. But then it goes on to say that she responded to the message. So then I think to myself, well, she really wasn't a worshiper of Jesus. Wouldn't be a worshiper of Jesus. Now, are we talking about God the Father? Are we talking that she believed in multiple gods and God was one she of was, the ones she She was probably a Gentile God-fearer. Somebody who... Um, I want to just look up and see how the, how, in the NRSV, how they translate that. Let me put on my other glasses. Are you making the Jeopardy countdown noise? I am. Okay. <laughs> I thought there was a Jeopardy, Jeopardy, a Jeopardy Bible controversy in the last couple of weeks. Oh. The final question was, in which book of Paul's, which book of Paul's in the New Testament has the most quotations from the Old Testament and the answer chosen by the Jeopardy people was Hebrews so that created this whole flurry on in you know social media because most people including me don't think that Paul wrote Hebrews at all okay so that yeah that was that was you know by biblical experts you know <laughs> that's big controversy um, Sixteen, fourteen. Now, I also say a worshiper of God. Okay. Okay. So, so I guess I should hedge my bets. You know, I think if she were Jewish, we would probably be told that. So maybe she's a God fearer, okay. but she is going down to the place of prayer. But it would explain why she's there and and not at the synagogue. I don't know. How about how about I come back next week and with a more informed answer? Would that be okay? That sounds great. Okay, very good. So Sometimes then, we have to do that. So Thessalonians, back to go back to Thessalonians because that whole story is what Paul's referring to in his letter to the Thessalonians. So we'll go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just go back to verse 1. Okay? Yep. Right out there. So he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. And that's the story we just read. Because if, um, let me put up my map. You can see the sequence of events because of the map. So I, the red arrow is now pointing toward Philippi, where we just read this, this great story. Obviously, an important story because of the amount of space that Luke devotes to it. it. He views it as an important story. 
and understanding um, what is happening with with Paul and Silas and the rest through them. So there's Philippi. Um, there is going down the road Amphipolis, Apollonia, and then Thessalonica. So he's just you know when he leaves Philippi, when he leaves Lydia's house, on that second missionary journey, the place that he heads is southward on that road and and goes to Thessalonica. And now he's riding back. And if you remember, maybe in the first a couple of weeks ago, we read Acts 17, where he was beaten up in Thessalonica and basically just chased out of town. So the, the guy had a tough, tough life um, in terms of trying to do this work that God had given him. Okay. So he says, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul does not point to his own personal courage. It is only because he had the help of God that he was able to tell the good news in Thessalonica in the face of strong opposition. They did chase him out of town. He was basically taken out of town. Remember, he, he stayed at a band named Jason's house. Jason and the others basically spared him, him out of town. And, um, but he did found house churches in Thessalonica. And in chapter 1, he saw that your example, he says that your example is known in Macedonia and in Achaia and really throughout the world. He's lifting them up and encouraging them and helping them see that their example of being faithful and striving to be disciples of Jesus in the face of stalwart opposition is... Um, it's important, and it's inspiring to other people. You know, you and I read the stories of Paul. I read the stories of Paul, and I get inspired. I mean, I can't believe the man did what he did, suffering as he was suffering. You would have to really, really believe that you are doing what God wanted you to do, to go through that time after time after time after time, place after place after place. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you were doing it because you, like, wanted to make money off of it or something, I just don't think people would do that. It would take... He had to believe that he was really... He was really doing what Jesus called him to do from that first meeting on the road to Damascus. With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel is good news. What is that good news? I talked about this in my sermon yesterday. The good news is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord and that God has put and is putting the world to right. That's a nice, simple summation, I think, that encompasses almost every aspect of what God is doing because the good news is not about what we do. The good news is about what what God has done, is doing, will do. We have work to do in that 
that flows from that, but it's about what God does. Now we come to verse 3, and I was reflecting on, on, on this, and I am so tired of junk phone calls and junk, partic particularly phone calls, that I end up on my phone, I end up putting silencing, I end up silencing unknown numbers, which isn't always good because there are people who want to reach me and who I would love to talk to, but I've, in my weakness, I have silenced all unknown numbers <laughs> because I get so tired of people calling me up and half the time they're offering me something. <laughs> right? Oh, if you'll do this, then I'll do this for you. Oh, I guess what? I have a free gift for you, sir. Sir. And of course, you know what that means. You know, at, at the other end, it, they're going to want something a lot more from, they're going to want a lot more from me. And so Paul is, is going to talk about this with the Thessala, Thessalonian Christians. Verse 3, he says, For the appeal we make, the appeal for the good news, the appeal to come to God, to embrace Jesus, does not spring from error. He would, he's not mistaken about this. Jesus was raised from the dead, hallelujah, or impure motives. Like, what would be the obvious one? Money. You know? Go to a Benny Hinn revival sometime, and what do you find? Them passing around those giant green pickle buckets so that you can you can fill it with money. You know, there we have a lot of hucksters in our world. In the ancient world, they had a lot of hucksters. A, a lot of traveling shows, as it were, that would go from place to place, and and they would come, and it was always about the money that they could make, even regardless of what they were teaching or what they were saying or how much truth there were to it. So he says, for the appeal we make, that Paul, and he's talking about Paul and Silas, okay? Um, and Timothy. The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. See, if you look at Paul's ministry, it becomes pretty obvious that he isn't working from impure motives. He isn't trying to trick somebody. Nobody would go through what he went through if that's what was going on. There are a lot of easier ways. <laughs> Most ways are easier ways to live your life. He says on in verse 4, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, with the good news, with the evangelion, with the glad tidings. You see Paul's confidence about this in place after place. Even in a very, in a letter that's as early as this one to the Galatians, where he writes, even if angels show up preaching a different gospel, don't listen to them. Trust me, I am delivering, I have delivered to you, I am delivering to you the true gospel. This is a man who believes without any question that he is doing and he is preaching 
and proclaiming what God has given him. We ought to go on in verse 4. We are not trying to please people. Wow. But God, who tests our hearts. You know, a lot of this paragraph here is actually should be engraved in every preacher's office. Gosh, it is tempting to, to have your goal to give the people in the pews exactly what they want, to make them happy, to please them. But that is not the way. That is the way of ruin. Um, you have to really, as a preacher, always be asking yourself, am I really preaching the good news? The good news. And, and, because it's just so tempting to preach sermons that please people. John Ortberg, a uh, famous teaching pastor out in California, not famous. Oh, um, uh, he's a pretty prolific writer out in California. <laughs> wrote an article once I read, he says, you know, every time I go out, I am tempted to bring miss with me the three three rings and the elephants. Right? I can remember stories in town here in Dallas at a, some church near us or near the airport where they brought a tank onto the stage. Do you remember that, Patty? This was like 15 years ago or something. A tank Really? Like really? Like an army tank? Or I can, it was an army tank. Wow, no, I don't remember Yeah, that. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. Yeah, there are a lot of things <laughs> that preachers, particularly in big churches, could do that people would find entertaining. But entertaining is not the goal. What's the goal? To preach the good news, to, to, to break down our defenses against the good news, to... Help us grasp our need so, for rescue. I'm going to mention another a movie reference again. Okay, good. We love we movies. We talked about yesterday, which if you you all may have already seen this movie a million times, it was actually a re, remade in the uh, early 2000s, I believe. But it's called The Bishop's Wife, and it's from the 1940s with Cary Grant and Loretta Young, and uh, what is the little what is her husband, the bishop's name? British actor. David Niven. David Niven. And um, it's a very Christian-based movie. It's very surprising that it's actually not just Christian-ish, it's Christian. And I was thinking, uh, this bishop wants to build this over-the-top, beautiful cathedral. And the only person in town who has the money that can give it to him is this rich old woman who basically wants this cathedral made as a shrine to her ex-husband whom she didn't even love she didn't we find that <laughs> out later on but carrie you know carrie grant warns the bishop carrie grant being the angel being the angel sent yeah sent here from god to help this bishop um you know who are you doing you're doing this to please her what well, what's the end result what is this supposed to be what, what was this cathedral supposed to be to honor God? And it's, it, 
really there is you go. It's a good story. Yeah. Yes, it's a good, 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 good connection there. So um, it is. It is just very, very. Of course, we want to please people. <laughs> of course, we do. Every preacher wants to be told, "Hey, it was a great sermon, Pastor," but. It can only be a great sermon if it's true to the gospel. That's that's the thing. Oh, and Kathy Sutherland so, is letting us know that that tank uh, thing was the Fellowship Church. Huh. And she said lots of singles. Oh, that's went right. To that it was. It Thanks, was. Kathy. So Kathy, see, she knows I'm not crazy. They had the <laughs> tank. I think that's the church also where the pastor's wife for some series, set up a bed on the yes. roof of the church or something. I don't know. Yes. yes. Let me just tell you, the good news <laughs> of Jesus Christ does not need gimmicks. No, it doesn't. It just needs the bravery to speak the good news um, to ears that don't want to hear it. <laughs> oh, man. It's a little bit like... Well, one of the local prominent Methodist pastors in the midst of all this fragmentation compared churches staying and going as like two competing baseball teams in the World Series. And all, I jumped out of my chair and I said, no, we're not competitors. That is not the way to see this. We're not competitors. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And preachers have to call the people to unity and preach the good news. And as Paul writes here, we are not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. Darn right. In verse 5, he says, you know we never use flattery. People love to be flattered. We never used flattery. Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. And to me, all of that says, Paul spoke the truth. Um... To preach good news in on a Sunday morning means you also have to preach about sin. Good news doesn't mean anything unless you understand the truth of sin. It's only it's only understanding the truth of, of of the darkness in our hearts that leads us to understand that we need to be rescued, that we can't rescue ourselves, that we need to be rescued by by, by, by someone outside ourselves, outside humanity. And of course that of, of course that is God. So Paul says, I never use flattery. I didn't put on a mask. I didn't pretend to, to be somebody I'm not. okay? I didn't come here asking for money. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. That's interesting, because everybody equates Paul with being this, not everybody, I'm sorry, that's not the way to put this. There are people who just don't like Paul very much because I don't think they've read him very well. And they they focus on a few little pieces in Paul and it, they, it, it makes them think of him as someone he wasn't. But here he is. 
he has all kinds of authority in the churches. It's not, it's not an authority that comes from people voting or something like that. It just comes from, it just comes from within him and the strength of his conviction. And people see that and they respond to it. And so he has to be careful about how he uses that authority. He says, we could have. We could have a third asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Scott, Lynn, Lynn is asking you, why does God test us? Why does God test us, Lynn? Well, I, I, I don't know that I think God really does test us. I think life tests us plenty. And I think it's a mistake to see the trials that we have in life as God testing us. I think it's a mistake when people carry the burden of thinking, well, God will never give me anything that I can't carry. Well, I don't think that God gives us all these burdens to carry in life just to see if we could do it or see if we would remain faithful. Life is filled with enough stuff like that on its own. God, you know, okay. Paul, Paul words it here, though. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Okay, what that means is, okay, good. Thank you, Patty. What that phrase means is, that means God looks at the hearts of the preacher. What are your motives, Mr. Preacher guy or gal? Right? So it's it's the kind of testing. It's like a it's like instrumentation in a car that you want attached to a car to see if the battery is is good or not. That's all that is. Okay. It's not a test like oh I've given these bad things to you, which I know a lot of people have in their heads. They were brought up with this idea, and I that God won't give you more you, than you can handle that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so it makes that people end up feeling very inadequate and bereft of God and saying, well, but I'm not carrying it. I can't carry it. What sort of God would do this to me? As opposed to saying, well, you know, life is full with a lot of bad stuff. Thankfully, God is with me every step through that. It's more like, should be, you should see it more like Psalm 23, you know. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. That's it. That's it. Not, not, not a lot. I, I kind of think sometimes that, you know, God sending all kinds of tough stuff to us to see if we can, if we can do it is, is kind of part of that Christian folk religion we, we talk about. I could find passages in the Bible that could be used to support that idea, especially because the ancient people lived in a world in which God or the gods were the first cause of everything. But we know differently now. We have lots of explanations for things that we have learned as we've learned more about God's glorious creation. So, no, I, I, I will never, ever, ever think that, for example, God sent me cancer. Why? Why would that? What, what good comes of that? God can make good come from it without sending it to me. Does that make sense? Yes. Kathy would like you to expand on the analogy of the car battery <laughs> test. 
I don't know. Okay, don't you don't you hook up something to car batteries to see if they're strong or not? Yes, Kathy. Well, they 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 kind of test the internals of the battery. So all I think that phrase is saying that God, God, God looks at what the motives of the preacher. The motives of the preacher um, tests our hearts. puts puts a little puts a little instrumentation there. Okay, okay, Mister Preacher person, what are you doing and why? You know, it's it's like the verse in Hebrews. You know, um, the word is 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 a two-edged sword diving deep and cutting deeply into the very heart of who we are. God know, God knows our what our motives really are that's why it's silly to think that you could hide them from god so anyway that was the extent of the on the spot analogy kathy (laughs) (laughs) i don't have to go back and talk about the tyke again too so he says it said we were like young children among you just as the nursing mother cares for her children so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, ourselves as well. Right? So Paul's saying, look, we came into the, we came and we went out, not only shared with you the good news of Jesus Christ, we shared with you ourselves, our lives. Um, I think if if I take my Sunday class, for example, you know, which is there's a lot of teaching that goes on in that class, right? It's a lecture-oriented teaching class, and I do most of the talking in there. But that teaching is only half of what that class is about. The other half of the class is about the fellowship and about trying to, to get people to be in fellowship. That's why of the potlucks. It's why we have the socials. It's why we do the donuts. It's why we have some time for people to socialize between services, all of that. It's And I, Patty and I both participate in that as much as we can. And I think we have made lots of, lots of good friends because It's one thing to hear a sermon preached, but you want to see the sermon lived by the preacher. Does that make sense, Patty? Yes. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's one thing to hear the words. The words are great. I, well, you could just show up and pass, pass out a manuscript or something like that of the sermon. So, But what people respond to the best is, is the living of it. That's why Christians do need to really strive not to be not to be hypocrites, not one kind of person on Sunday morning and a different kind of person on Monday morning. Because it's a terrible witness to Jesus and it's what people see first. You could tell them all up and down the street every day about Jesus, but if they don't see it in your life, ah, they're not going to buy it. That's just, that's just how it is. I don't think there's anything surprising in that or unusual. So he says, we cared for you. 
We loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So what is he talking about there? He's talking about his daily life in Thessalonica and the other places that he visited. And spent time, so let's talk about that for a minute. Clearly, Paul, because of what he says elsewhere in other letters, believes that the local house churches have an obligation to financially support those who are doing the work of these house churches. Okay? Um, but for Paul, as an evangelist and an itinerant preacher and pastor, he does not want to leave himself open to any accusations of any kind about doing this for the money. So he supports himself with his trade. And if you know, um, as you might, um, what Paul's trade is, it's a hard one. It is stitching and cutting and with awls and big needles and stuff, leather, because he's a tent maker, which really just is a broad term that means he works in leather, often big sheets of leather, hard work, heavy work, um, and he supports himself that way. We learn in the book of Acts that when he gets to Corinth, he sets up shop, basically, with Priscilla and her husband, who are in the same business. That's Ephesus, right? Ephesus. He meets them in Ephesus, and he meets them in Corinth. Okay. So, I think it's in Corinth that they're in business together first, in, at the beginning of Acts 18, but I might be wrong. That'll teach me to try to correct you. No, just look it up right now <laughs> while we're doing it. I could be wrong. Gosh. Like I've always said, you know, some portion of what I say is obviously wrong. I just don't know which portion it is. So, <laughs> so, so here's how here's how his week would go. So on Saturdays, what's Saturday? Well, that's that's the Sabbath. That's Shabbat, right? Shalom, Shabbat, peace to you, Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath day, there's no work. He would not work. He was a faithful Jew. He he, he would have followed the law in this. And so Saturday would have been devoted to preaching and teaching and prayer. Um, but come Sunday, it would be back to work. And he would work during the day. And then in whatever time that he could find um, in the waning hours late in the day, he would preach and teach and talk with people. And so while everybody else is off kind of having their dinner and getting ready for bed and getting ready for the next day. That's Paul out there spreading that good news. And that would be Sunday. And then the same thing would happen on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. You know, you could ask me, well, what days did he get off? He, well, he didn't work on Saturday. That was, that was Sabbath. In the Greco-Roman world, the Jews were viewed as being kind of odd because they took this one entire day off from this from their work. This was not a world in which people had 40-hour work weeks or got their weekends 
you know, weekend would be like party time or something like that. If you go to Israel today, um, Friday's basically the, their Saturday, right, honey? Yes. Yes, Friday's basically their Saturday. They basically take off the day before the Sabbath, which begins at sundown on Friday. Or their Friday. Saturday is like our Sunday. Is that what we should say? From no, yeah. their Saturday is like our Sunday. Their yes. Friday is like our Saturday. Yes, yes. In other words, they, they're they back at work on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's right. In any event, they do have a day in addition to Sabbath that that is, they do have sort of a five-day week. So that would be Paul, and he would labor, and he would work hard, and he was always, he's kind of reminding people that this is what I did. This is what I did. Verse 9, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our, this is Paul, Silas, Timothy, I think, you know, I don't know what the two of them did, but we know what Paul did. Our toil and hardship, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone. We supported ourselves while we preached the good news of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Holy, righteous, and blameless. Boy, you read those words. Isn't that kind of intimidating, Patty? Yes. Yes. Right? How holy, righteous, and blameless we were. Well, Paul, I think, was a very high-energy, type A++ person, and he applied all of himself to living a life that was Christ-like in all respects. Just as he had been a super-duper Pharisee, a keeper of the law beyond all others, keeper, all other keepers of the law. Now he used that energy and that intellect, intellect and that devotion and that zeal to being as genuine a disciple of Jesus as he could possibly be. Why? Not merely for himself, because he. this was how he would urge the people in Philippi or Thessalonica or Corinth or any place else to embrace this life, right? If he wasn't willing to, to strive for a holy, blameless, and righteous life, how could he call anybody else to do it? Right. And I think when you read his letters, he is confident about his about the fact that he did that. And that's why he says things like, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. Another intimidating sentence. Kind of like, wow. Right? Yes. Imitate me as I imitate the Lord. What? But I kind of think if more of us thought, you know, thought that way, and we started doing it, at younger ages in our lives, then a lot of things would come more 
easily to us. And when we use the phrase come naturally to us, that naturally would be naturally in the sense of having been reborn. Not natural in the sense of the way the world was, but the way the world is and is going this to is be. <laughs> so, but it is, it is something this is a to behold Paul's confidence in this. Um, and you might think it would make him an arrogant person, but that does not seem to be the case. I don't get that from his letters. I think he strives to live a humble life. He says, what does he say at the end of Philippians? I've learned to be content in all circumstances. I have had a whole lot at some points, and I've had other times in my life when I have had nothing. But I've learned to be content through it all, you know, by the power of God. So verse 10, you are witnesses, he says to the Thessalonians. You saw it with your own eyes. And so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And so now he's switching metaphors. He was the nursing mother, or what was he? A nursing mother, um, a young child. Now he's a father. He's capturing the whole the whole family thing at one time. <laughs> For you know that we, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging you. And comforting you and urging you to live lives worthy of God. It's what we're all called to, to live lives worthy of God. And you, we can't just throw up our hands and say, oh, I can't do that. Never mind. That's too intimidating. I, I was talking to a gentleman one day who had, was reading my book, says, you know what Jesus expects of us? And he says, ah, I felt too guilty. Well, that's the wrong way to see it. <laughs> see it as a call to live lives worthy of God. Because if we do, then we will find the lives that we actually seek. And we will find the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom to pull ourselves out of this anxiety, fear-ridden world that surrounds us. That's how you do it. Because God doesn't want any of that anxiety and fear for us. And so, you know, one of the unfortunate things is I think a lot of people have very bad relationships with their father. I, I really have no memories of my birth father. He left home at 11. I don't know why I can't remember him as a father and because 11's pretty old, and I guess I would need therapy, but I don't know. I think I'm doing okay without therapy, at least with once I found Patty. <laughs> and my stepfather, I had a very difficult time. My brother had a difficult time. My youngest brother had a difficult time. We kind of think which, which of the three of us spent the most time with him had the biggest problems. 
And so I can't say in my personal life I can identify with this kind of father who is what? Encouraging and comforting and urging me to live a life worthy of God. And I look back over my life and I look back to my early years and I ask myself, well, what if I had had a father like that? How much of, how, how much of that kind of father was I? Being encouraging and comforting and urging Chris and Matt and Robert to live lives worthy of, of God. You know, maybe more so with Robert because God and Patty had already grabbed me by then. But earlier in my life, I, I know looking back that I was, uh, there was a lot of Christian-ish in me. That's my own autobiography. But, but certainly, um, yeah, Paul dealing with these people and a father with his own children, encouraging comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. There you go. Wow. Who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. You know, we're called by God for a purpose. We're called by God for somewhere into God's kingdom, into God's glory, to be with God, to be to be with Jesus. So in verse 13 he says, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, what you heard from us, you accepted it. And you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So you get this in Paul's letters a lot, that the word Paul preached worked in people's lives. They weren't just words left on a piece of paper or words left hiding, hanging in the air. They have power, real power, in people's lives and um, he commends the Thessalonians for understanding that these words that he preached and he brought to them and he gave to them as a gift were not were dead they weren't human words they were they were from God it was it's God's good news not the human's good news. It's God's good news. God, um, okay, so think, there was a philosopher once. His last name was Lessing, L-E-S-S-I-N-G. And there's a, the, 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 there's a story about a Lessing and his ditch, Lessing's ditch. So he says, imagine God is on one side of the ditch and humanity's on the other side of this ditch. Now Lessing, the philosopher, said humans cannot reach across that 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 ditch it's simply it's simply beyond us we can't we can simply sit here in our human finitude and reach across and discover what we would like to know about god 
the creator of the cosmos. But God can reach across, right? And God does. And what God does in this world and how that is captured in the pages of Scripture. See? Scripture, it's God's revelation of himself without which we would know not much about God. Most of what we would think, imagine about God, we would have gotten wrong. Well, that's why you always have to come back to Scripture. Scripture has to be the authority. Scripture has to be the place from which we work on understanding God because we can't reach across that ditch. God has to reach to God has to reach to us. And so the community, the house, the early believers there in Thessalonica understood this. That this good news Paul brought them was actually good news from God and they believed it as such. They didn't take it as like what? Oh, one more opinion from Paul among many in this world. No, it wasn't. It was, in that way, it's almost independent of Paul. Yes, he is the bringer of it. Yes, he is the proclaimer. Yes, he is the preacher of it. But it's really independent of Paul. The good news exists on its own because it is the proclamation of what? Of what God has done. It begins as what God has done. And what God has done is doing and will do is proclaimed. It's almost Christmas time. So, when the shepherds are on the field, what do the angels do? The herald angels show up and say, glad tidings of great joy because they are bringing the news. They're like the town crier, right, with the big old rolled out, going up and down the street, ringing the bell, proclaiming what the news of the day is. We bring you glad tidings of great joy. About what? About what God is doing in the birth of this child. And who this child is. So it is the word of God, Paul says, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So like elsewhere in the New Testament, including the Hebrews passage I mentioned before and in Romans, the word is, it's real. It's the power of God's salvation. And it, 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 it must be heard, Paul writes in Romans 10. And how can it be heard if there isn't somebody to preach it? And other things that follow from that. So, so, I think we're going to end right there. Because there's actually, though the paragraph is not broken here, we're actually going to have a little change in subject and I need time to talk about the um, Thessalonians and the Jews in Judea and that whole bit. So let's not try to start verse 14. When we come back next week, we'll probably start with 13 and go forward from there. Okay? Okay. Alrighty. All right. So. Boy, that class went fast. It did go fast. 
felt that way to me. It did to me too. But it is like almost 4.15, right? It sure is. Okay. Yes. <sighs> there we are. Oh, I'm so oh, bright again. There we go. Yeah, see, it's, it's just... Because the way the sun's coming in. Yeah, you'd have to go and... Yes. Change okay. the blinds. It's all right. Yeah. You should be bright, honey. Look at oh, that yes. bright little face. <laughs> well, truly, we hope you all have a very, very wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, if you can, want to join us tomorrow, either online or in person. Of course, Scott will be doing his class, uh, finishing up Corinthians. Not finishing, but, but we're, we're getting we're, close. We're getting close. We're still in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection of Jesus because that's mm -hmm. the linchpin of everything. And so we've really really slow down in the 15th chapter of Corinthians, which is good, it's which good is what thing. I wanted to do. It's a good thing. So that tomorrow is at 12, y'all know, to 115. Um, and again, just happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. We're, we're, Absolutely. Truly, we are so grateful for all of you. Truly. Truly. Yes. Um, truly. Doing this online really saved, I think, saved our sanity during COVID. Oh, yeah. It really did. Might be saving our sanity now. It Who might. knows? <laughs> we hope it helped you, too. Uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this week of Thanksgiving, Lord. We are so grateful, so grateful for everything that you have given us, our families, our church, our, our own lives, just so, so much, Lord. And uh, we are so grateful, God, that we do, we do still live in a country where we can share your word and talk about your word in a open and free place. It's, it's just, just a freedom that we take for granted, God, all the time. We are so grateful, Lord, for all you have done for us, and especially, Lord, of course, the greatest gift of all was giving us your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that you would hold close this group we just pray, Lord, that you would watch over us. We pray for good health, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would help keep us safe. And, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to have a mind set more like Jesus. We pray for your wisdom, God, and your discernment in all that we do every day, God. Help us to stop for a minute and think about exactly what we're doing and why. We love you, Lord. We love this group. Hold us close, Lord. We lift up all these prayers to you today. We pray them all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Adios, everybody. Bye, guys. Hope bye you have bye. a wonderful rest of the day. The sun's coming out. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> bye. Bye.